Hi, I'm Isa Sanchez, and I'll be your host this week on Made in Canada, an agricultural podcast. This is called Foot Supply at Risk. Pedro asked me to step into the role of host for this episode because I am one of the cast members of the stage play that never happened. Maybe one day it will happen. If any theater presenters are out there listening, this is your cue. <laughs> when Pedro first asked me to host this episode, he and I had a little conversation about my relationship to the whole project. Hi, Isa. Hi, Pedro. Thank you so much for agreeing to host this week's podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting for me to be part of this. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born and raised in Mexico. I only moved here to Vancouver uh, four years ago. And I started pursuing an acting career here in, in Vancouver. But back in Mexico, I uh, did theater production, which is where my love for theater came to be. And what eventually brought me to meet you and to get to know about this project. Did you know anything about the project at that moment before I asked you to be a part of it? No, I didn't. I had absolutely no idea that any of this was happening, that any of this was a thing. I, I was actually, I was really surprised because we hear so many stories about the States, obviously, I mean, United States and, and, but I never thought that a country like Canada would, these things were happening here. Um, so you so it wasn't until I heard about, 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 heard about your project that I started, that, that shed a light on it. Okay. Yeah. So when you heard about the project and you heard about the subject of the project, what kind of stood out to you about that, that this program like this existed in Canada? I guess the unfairness of it, if that's like, if I can just pick one word, that's what stood out. Because in my perception of Canada, it being a country that is so I guess the image of it is so open to diversity, so open to equality, so progressive in, in human rights and, and social movements that for me was like, wait a minute, this is happening in like in 2020? It just, it was like cognitive dissonance for me. This happening in Canada was just like, no, no, there's gotta be, no. And yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, I hear you. And I felt the journey very much the same of realizing this program and these things exist here. And so as you begin to learn about the program, you meet the other cast members and, and we have that kind of first meeting where I explained where this project came from, how I created it. And I reveal to all of you that this is, especially in the songs, our verbatim lyrics that are actual interviews and, and voices of the folks um, who were working on these farms. What was that like for you to know that you were going to be, you know, before COVID happened, that you were going to be taking on a role that's amalgamated or part of someone's, you know, lived experience? Oh my God. It was really scary in the best kind of way, I guess, scary in a challenging way for an actor because I mean, every story is, is always exciting and challenging, but it's like, this is real life. This is, this is, these are real stories. 
everything is 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 real and raw and truthful and to just what's sorry I'm I'm looking for a word but to like really make justice to not just the story but the people and the lives that are behind these stories uh, that was I guess what um, was really exciting for me but also brought a lot of I guess responsibility and being like, okay, I, I I really need to connect with these people's stories and bring them to life, to spread the word, to tell these stories to a to an audience, and now through the music and through the podcast. And I'd like to go a little further too, for you specifically in the cast. I believe you were the only Mexican who was born in Mexico, uh, or from Mexico who lived in Mexico, and. What was it like knowing that the majority of workers coming here were Mexican? Oof, I gotta say, it, it really connected with 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 me in like a deeper level. And when I first heard the music, in I guess you had like a like some rough recordings, and I heard the mariachi and the, the Mexican sound, and knowing these are Mexican stories, well, mostly Mexican uh, people's stories it just really connected in like a goosebump kind of way. And also I have to, to admit that coming, I came to Canada in a very different way and knowing from the eyes or the perspective of someone who immigrated to Canada with, with dreams and with hopes and wanting a better life and a better future, and knowing that these people are doing the exact same thing, all these workers, that's what they want. We all want that in our lives in one or another way. But when they get here, they find very different circumstances than the ones I've found. And that was humbling. And that was, I get also, I guess also like, like a bit of a gulp moment, a bit of a, punch I guess in the gut for a a little bit and it's just like this is this is reality and and yeah I feel you I I too throughout this project have had to check you know the privilege that I have being first generation Guatemalan um of son of immigrants who came here worked blue collar jobs from son of a minor end of a custodian and that, you know, I have these rights and privileges just because I happen to be born here. And yet the people who are feeding us don't and can be coming here for years. And so, yeah, it's that struggle to continually check that when I'm talking to folks in the community. It's definitely a big, like, yeah, check-in moment. And, and it gives you way broader perspective of all the different things that are happening. This episode is devoted to a song about the early time of COVID. When we went into lockdown and thousands of migrant workers were en route to Canada with no idea if they were going to be allowed to step foot in this country. Canadians woke up to the fact that without the migrant workers, our food supply would be at risk, since migrant workers are the ones who pick the crops in Canadian fields. Let's drop in on Pedro and the composer Michelle Cutler as they talk about where this song came from. Uh, Michelle and I are just talking about song order and here we are at song number three on the album and 
we played a lot with song order in mm-hmm. the room. In fact, I did the old, um, what is it? You mentioned it. From oh, the it's show. like some smash. And so I've never seen smash. So I didn't know I was doing this, but I, you know, printed out all the songs on paper and then I cut them out and had like the numbers and then was like reordering them. And then Michelle was like, oh, you can't, you can't do that. Cause that's a minor song to an a minor song. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know keys. Oh yeah. And so I had to write them out next. Write like, the okay, key. the program is this, and then, <laughs> you know? So, so there was the title and then the key. And so then I was able to like visually see yeah. the flow and I was playing that. And as like Michelle would rehearse, I'd like, okay, maybe shift this yeah. one here. <laughs> but the first three, I think I bring this up at song number three, because the first three we kind of locked in really early. We knew yeah. those were going to be the first three songs on the album. Yeah. And that's interesting because this third song is one of the newest songs I wrote over December 2020. Yeah. Where did the text come from this one? So after the show had been postponed and I was going into writing new drafts of the play, I knew I wanted to start addressing the changes in the program, especially during COVID, mm-hmm. right? We all went into lockdown and workers were left in limbo. They were already on their way here. Some of them had just arrived and we were in lockdown and everyone was worrying about our food and all these shortages, but no one was worrying about the workers except for those advocates that do, right? It was just like, what's what's going to happen to our food? And not thinking about the ramifications of having these workers come here and being left in limbo and not knowing uh, what's going to happen as we, we will hear. Different provinces tackle that differently. So I just went through news articles that kind of, like I did a Google time search of like March 2020 to... June 2020 to see what was being talked about as the season was kind of happening into mid-season, grabbed quotes from news articles and shaped this and saw that you can see the change in the news articles of like the difference of like, oh my God, what are we going to do for our food? These workers are here. What should we do? Like they're fast tracking them. Is that the right thing to do? And then, you know, to the eventual thing that happens on the farms, which you'll hear later in the album. Mm -hmm. By August 2020, Network TV News was digging further into what was happening on the farms. In Ontario, some workers were being forced to sign papers to say they wouldn't leave the farm, even to shop for groceries. We've been reporting this week some temporary migrant workers in Ontario say they're being asked to sign agreements keeping them confined to the farms where they work. CTV's Molly Thomas has been breaking this story. She is in Leamington, Ontario today getting reaction and she joins me with more. Molly, what are you hearing from migrant workers about the situation and and why this is happening? So Heather, we're in the middle of farm country. Uh, We're in Leamington and if you just go outside uh, of the main uh, city square, you're going to see greenhouses upon greenhouses. You drive down an entire highway and you just see, you know, the places where where the fruits and vegetables for many of us come onto our plates. And and to do that, we bring in about 10,000 migrant workers come into this country every season to be able to uh, work on the farms. COVID has complicated all of that. Uh, They are in a position where now there's 1,100, more than 1,100 workers sick. Some people have even died, lost their lives to COVID, and it's spreading around here. And so some farms, some farms have taken it on themselves to, to restrict workers to say, you know, don't leave the property, stay here. And, and workers are speaking out and saying, you know, uh, that that doesn't work. That doesn't work for us. Why are we being singled out? I spoke to one man, one young man who for the first two months of the pandemic, he listened to those rules. He stayed on the farm, but his wife and his child, they live outside of the farm and his wife is pregnant and she had a high risk pregnancy and she started bleeding. And he said, I am not going to stay here. So he left going back and forth eventually led to what he said he was fired. And so we're, we have these situations where, uh, you know, these migrant workers are struggling. On the other hand, Heather, 
farmers uh, are confused as to what they should be doing. I, I spoke with uh, a growers association here representing 200 farmers and saying, you know, we are trying desperately to protect not only our workers, but the, the wider community here in the region, as well as the food supply in our country. So it is not an easy, simple, complicated solution that you can come to any of this. And uh, tensions are definitely uh, high for different groups of people here in this region. So far, we have been unable to talk with any farmers who employ migrant workers. But if any of you out there are willing, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at riceandbeanstheater.com. Even though we haven't been able to speak with farm owners, we have been fortunate enough to talk with some of the support workers, volunteers, and people working for agencies that provide help to migrant workers. Mitch Ward is one of them. He's a migrant outreach worker who is based out of Kamloops, BC, with Kamloops Immigrant Services. Mitch confirmed our intuitions that in BC, the COVID situation heightened the isolation of an already isolated worker population. And, and this year, because of COVID, I think it was particularly an issue because, uh, you know, basic, basic things like money transfers became really difficult. Um, if there's a weak internet signal or no internet at all, it becomes impossible to send your money home to your family. And that that is a huge, huge issue for these workers. And so I was having to go and, you know, bring bring money into town to deposit it in people's accounts because they needed that money in accounts. And it, it doesn't seem like a huge issue to some people if there's no internet, but it's really a matter of like of, of mental health for these workers who who need to be able to Skype and communicate with their families. I guess uh, you know another kind of channel of, of issues are around accessing federal benefits. So some of the workers here, because of the kind of longer term nature of the agriculture around here, they come under a low skilled egg stream, which is um, yeah, it's a little bit different than the seasonal agricultural worker program in that it's a two-year visa. They often return home in the winter and then come back in the spring still, but the visa is for two years. And so those workers, uh, if they stay in Canada, could potentially apply for employment insurance. And, and that happened a little bit this year because of, of COVID and everything. And so, yeah, the in law, they're allowed to claim employment insurance if they have a valid work permit and they're still in Canada. But in practice, there are so many barriers set up for those workers to actually claim that, um, that it's essentially impossible. There was one worker who this year, we spent four and a half months trying to get parental benefits that he qualified for. Uh, and just so many calls with Service Canada trying to get, you know, this little sum of money that for any other Canadian would have just been a 15 minute form on the internet and it gets deposited in your account. So. You know, it's, it's things like that that kind of show the way that the system is working against these workers and is built to, yeah, give them less than it does the average Canadian. But, um, yeah, and then, you know, I guess along another channel, along with isolation, uh, is the fact that uh, if there is abuse going on, there's very few people to reach out to. So it, uh, it creates a feeling of, of nowhere to turn if if an employer is is forcing you to work overtime or and I think with COVID uh, one of the things that happened was that there was this uh, sentiment among employers that workers shouldn't leave 
the farm. And so we had a lot of situations where workers were either being dissuaded or told not to leave their farm for the duration of the season. Um, and that, you know, obviously presents challenges and is a, a violation of their rights as, as workers in Canada. So we, yeah, we did a lot of kind of education and what the actual public safety uh, stuff was and what the situation was in, in community that how few cases there were or how many cases there were and, and tried to get the actual information out to workers so that they can make an informed decision. But if the employer is not going to drive you to town, it's still impossible to get to town. So that, uh, that was the thing this, this season as well. And so I know I'm going to rewind the clock a bit because you've mentioned COVID Uh and we are in the COVID times, but I want to step back and in a typical season before COVID, how many cases were you seeing in a year in your region, I would say? So this is the first COVID. I've only ever worked in Cameron seen COVID, but uh, in uh, in the Okanagan, I think, you know, uh, it would be me and another one or two people that worked in the Vernon area. And um, I mean, more cases than you could handle. Uh, at a severe level, I would say four or five cases that were, you know, we're going to take months to kind of work through at a, at a kind of medium level where it's like a work safe claim or like, a, like if you're thinking one-on-one uh, work, I would say 40 or so a season um, and potentially more if we had, had reached out more. Um, at some point, you kind of reach max capacity. And so there's some farms that, you know, are, are a little bit further out and maybe have 70 workers or something, but you can only go once a season to go see them. And so they have your number if an emergency comes up, but um, you don't have that relationship in the same way that you do with farms that you work with weekly or, or every two weeks or whatever. So, yeah, I think it's it's huge. And then in, in Kamloops, I think you would expect the same. There's fewer workers here, but they're more spread out. And then, like I said, the isolation creates kind of different issues. So, on most farms this season, there were there were cases where we worked individually with workers. Mitch's experience is mirrored across the interior, like in the Okanagan area, where Javier Robles provides similar outreach on behalf of KCR, Kelowna Community Resources, a nonprofit agency. His work includes visiting far-flung farms to meet with workers in person. Even before COVID, this was already complicated. And I know that they start working at 7 a.m. and they finish to work at 4. So I try to visit them after 4 p.m., right? If I want to visit them at a farm and speak with them, right, and hear what they have to say. But sometimes, because I visit a Latin store or grocery store, superstore, Walmart, blah, blah, blah. So I have been in contact with them. It's more easy because they are, nobody is looking at them, nobody is supervising them. So they speak more freely. I share my business card and then they call me via WhatsApp because this is the, the way that they use, right? They don't. They don't use text messages. They use WhatsApp. So we've been in touch via WhatsApp with them. And more in this COVID-19 situation, right, that uh, there are some farms that don't allow visitors. And, and you read an 
indicators like that say, please, please don't trespass in this is a private property, the visitors are not allowed, things like that, right? So now it's more complicated to visit farms without permission of the employers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I've been reading a lot and hearing a lot in the community as well, um, that COVID lockdowns have been used to kind of isolate even further from the public. Yeah, yeah. I remember last year, uh, uh, we have we struggling with some agricultural workers that we want to support, but they wasn't allowed to, to receive visitors. They wasn't allowed to go outside to the farm. They have to buy his groceries online, you know, and they don't have the, the tools, the necessary tools to do that uh, transaction. For example, uh, they have smartphones, but they use the smartphones for get WhatsApp or Facebook to be in touch with his family. But it's not the same in our countries. We don't use cell phones to go to websites and buy groceries, right? They mentioned me that sometimes they buy the groceries and they even know the address of the farm. And they look his contract and they put the address that show in the contract. But some of that contracts came from Ontario. So, so the grocery was sent to Ontario. And, and, and they called me. They was desperate and tell me, Hey, Javier, help me, please. So what, what else we can do? Right. So, okay. I'll buy the groceries. I'll leave the money below a stone or a place and I will pack your groceries in a black bag. And I will leave it at the road beside the farm. And you can come and pick it up when you have time, right? Because if they, if the employers know that somebody visitors, uh, probably they will be able to fire them, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't want that. This is a small example, right? Yeah. Wow. Wow. We talked about this with a migrant worker who was able to share his experiences working on a large farm outside Pentington, where he has been working for four years. Like many of the workers we have interviewed, he asked us to remain anonymous. ¿Qué has escuchado de, de alguna diferencia en, te, en términos del trabajo, el procedimiento ahora que estamos en esta pandemia? Um, de, de qué cosas han cambiado en términos del trabajo, se están pidiendo menos trabajadores o en términos de la convivencia, cómo están manejando. How has the job changed or has it changed at all since COVID happened? What are the living quarters like? What are the health protocols like? What have they told you about the vaccine? Do you mean in Mexico or Canada? Both, if you're up for sharing. Yeah, 
In Mexico, there isn't much happening. Where I work, they haven't told me anything about the vaccine. Some notable changes upon returning have been, instead of going into an office to submit your yearly report, we were asked to call instead. The same went for applying to go to Canada. All the regular paperwork shifted to online. I think I've been to an office maybe once, and usually there are lots of people around. But of course, this wasn't the case. As for the farms, well, when I arrived last February, COVID wasn't so prevalent. No one was wearing masks. Very few people knew about it. Then, as time went on, we started to see shifts, like avoiding leaving the farm because no one wanted to risk getting infected. There were 50 to 60 workers at the time, and if one person got the virus, then they had to quarantine, which means you don't work, which means you don't earn money. We knew the worst case scenario would be someone dying. So they suggested no one leave to do the shopping. So they started bringing us supplies. Then, when more workers started arriving, we switched to doing online shopping via Walmart. In the camps, everything had to remain clean, constant sanitizing. We upped the cleaning from what was done normally. We went from doing cleaning of one to two times a week to cleaning daily. A bit tiring, but necessary. Did you ever find out if there was anyone who contracted COVID, either on your farm or elsewhere? 
On our farm, no one got COVID, but we did know about a case nearby where one person got it and infected the whole camp. Now, I know you've been itching to hear more about the song that's at the heart of this episode, Foot Supply at Risk. So, let's go back to Pedro and Michelle so they can tell us a bit more about it. And so, musically, these, this was a new song I'd thrown at you. I was like, oh, yeah. here's a new song. Um, uh, it was totally new, yeah. So, this is something I wrote in January. Earlier on when I was researching style, um, a lot of people I know who who play a lot of mariachi talk about how there's sort of this flowing between a 3-4 signature and a, and a 6-8 time signature. So there's, um, you'll hear this 1-2-3-4-5-6, that kind of thing, which comes up a lot. And in speaking to people who who play that, um, from my understanding, sometimes it's not really notated and it's kind of just like a thing you feel and it's sort of really amorphously shifting between a 3-4 time and a 6-8 time. So like a compound to a simple time. So I sort of took from that, uh, something that I made a little more rigid, which is the sort of the thing you'll hear at the beginning, which is that da 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 that that sort of vibe, and wrote the little that little sort of violin trumpet line, and then I kind of just I don't know I kind of just went from there. Like this one was one of the least like particularly taken from something I would say. There was these sort of three phrases about spring. So the first time it's spring is it waiting for us Mm -hmm. and then or spring is getting close and then spring is it waiting for us um and so i thought that was really interesting as a little sort of recurring thing and this one i don't know like it wasn't it was kind of easy-ish to write like it just kind of happened i think once i figured out that groove that weird groove one thing (laughs) one thing that was fun in the room so the intro to this song initially had the little tune that you'll hear so it had an intro like many of the other songs that was a violin trumpet intro and then going into the songs and as we were in the room we were sort of hearing what it was like just to have just bass and percussion and we're all like oh it's weird and cool and we kind of like it and we ended up deciding like hey we're gonna just pull that violin and trumpet we're just gonna have this bass percussion thing it's gonna be really different from some like groovy jazzy it's like weirdly jazzy yeah it's like what (laughs) like what world are we in now like it's it's something else but uh i don't know like i just liked it like i and again it's so there's sort of these nuggets of we i did start from like a place that had something behind it but then it's just like i don't know (laughs) like let's just see what this is like and the lyrics really take you Again, they force me to go in whatever direction and kind of follow the lyric to get uh, to get the song. And I just. Yeah, I think it was one of those things that, you know, I think I fought you a lot in this process of like, you're like, oh, let's strip this down or we really need to focus on who's singing what. And uh, I'm like, no, all voices all the time. And you're like, Pedro, we can't have all the voices all the time. It doesn't make sense. Well, it's like also we can't record everyone singing yeah. every part. Also, that was a spot on impression of you. I just want to say that. Thank you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I'm looking in a mirror right now. Yeah, yeah. I see it. Yeah. And and so, but this one, as we pulled more away, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I get what you get. I'm getting, I'm getting what you're putting down there. Especially after coming out of the drive and energy of Tienes Trabajo, I just like, oh yeah, this is it. Yeah. 
this is a nice little thing to give a rest before we kind of scale things up again yeah and getting getting you ready for the drama that's about to happen yeah <laughs> and if you're looking at this the show the show happens in in like th- like <laughs> i write i don't i use theater theatrical conventions <laughs> and break them all the time and so there's like a prologue and an epilogue and three acts in the seasons and um this yeah this is like in the first act of like spring so like this is still early on in the journey of the migrant workers and it could be because they they arrive at different times on on the farms right they mm-hmm. some are here for eight months some are six weeks depending what they're here for so yeah it was nice kind of thinking about where this one fell in the in the mm-hmm. cycle yeah so all right enjoy explore the first song that was ever written for Made in Canada, an agricultural song cycle. A catchy tune called Synergy in Action. Thank you for listening. Adios y que te vaya bien. No creo que que se da para solo servir para trabajar. Entonces nadie sería estaría feliz, ¿no? No lo sé. Made in Canada. An agricultural podcast was created by Pedro Chamale and narrated this week by me, Isa Sanchez. It is edited and co-produced 
by Kathleen Flaherty, with the assistance of our Spanish dramaturg, Daniela Atiencia. It is produced by Derek Chan and Howard Dye of Rice and Beans Theatre. Thanks to Playwrights Theatre Center and to today's guests, Michelle Cutler, Mitch Ward, Javier Robles, and the worker who wishes to remain anonymous. Thank you to all the funders and donors who made the song cycle possible. The Canada Council for the Arts, the BC Arts Council, the Province of British Columbia, and the City of Vancouver. You can find out more about the podcast and Made in Canada, an agricultural song cycle, or support us and purchase the album at micsongcycle.ca. That's micsongcycle.ca. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to know more about me, you can follow me on Instagram at isa underscore Sanchez R. Thank you.